0: Ah, boy, I miss the days of stand-up comedy sometimes. That crowd that heckled you, I loved it. You haven't lived until you've been heckled at a funeral. Welcome to Grounded, the place to hear the salty truth. I'm your host, Scott Cates, coming to you live from the northeast Georgia mountains and the tiny town of Tiger, where today made us a beautiful day. I mean, spring out there, every plant is alive, it's amazing, every bee that is out there and wasp is going pollen, pollen, pollen like crazy, and every human being around us is going, pollen, no doubt, you know, I do miss the days of stand-up comedy, I was in New England for a while, and while I was in New England, were, I took advantage of Friday nights at the Comedy Club in Boston. There was about an hour of amateur time on those evenings in the late 1980s, the later part of the 1980s, and I loved getting up, had written material to go and present to the crowd, which was awesome. They were amazing, and they always had to heckle you at some point. There was always somebody that would stand up and say something. Of course, they were under the influence of something in those moments, but they would stand up, which made it even funnier. And you could respond with a look, oftentimes, that would bring the house down. Or you could fire back a one-liner or two and bring the house down and laughter would radiate through the house. Some days I miss those moments, but to be honest with you, you can stand behind the pulpit and get heckled and field off things as well. I've had many a times where I've actually been able to do that. And then with that same look, you know, the master, the master of The great looks in front of people was Johnny Carson, who loved, I loved Carson. used to love watching. For those of you that know me, loved watching Carson with a look he could bring the house down. And with firing back one line just right off the top of his head in those moments, responding to the crowd was amazing. Well, it's 2023, you never know what's going to happen, especially standing behind the pulpit. You could be at a funeral and somebody fire off heckling you at a funeral. Nowadays, you don't know, you have no idea, and you haven't lived until that's actually taken place. It's quite the challenge, but uh, I think in the days in stand-up comedy have helped that quite a bit. (laughs) Today I want to talk to you uh, uh, about some things. You know, you know, those days of stand-up comedy were kind of amazing. I never really got off track from the subject or the things that I'd written about. Could always come back around. And even today, if if you're in the congregation with me, things don't bother me. Children don't bother me. Crying babies don't bother. They don't. Really, uh, those of you that are with me, you know, you understand and know. I'm oblivious to most of that. Little kids driving Hot Wheels cars on the back of the pew. In the middle of the service, don't bother me. Some of you have seen me actually pick up a child and walk it back walk that child back him or her back to their parents and hand them while still preaching. It's just a part of it. Don't get thrown for a loop very often. And uh, but maybe that's just because I'm one track mind anybody else just one track you got a single track and that track is all basically I'm not a multitasker most of the time unless you put me into crisis or you can put me in crisis mode with a bunch of people and I can say hey, here do this do that do this and that's amazing how that happens but I don't want to be in crisis mode all the time so when I'm not in price- crisis mode I think maybe my brain shuts down a little maybe yours does too and then you get single track now it's funny, because I don't ever, guys, I always talk about, I've, and I'm talking with guys a lot There, yeah, I'm single track, I have this, you know, I don't, sometimes I can multitask, sometimes I can't, and if you ask a man sometimes, what is on his mind, and he says, nothing. That's usually true. I don't know how many times that someone would look up at me, and they would say, what's on your mind? Nothing. I, my wife would ask me, what's on your mind? Nothing. Like, how can that be? Because there's never nothing that's on her mind. And I'm not sure if that's, and I've, I've often wondered if that's just the way it is with females. There's not ever a time there's just nothing on your mind. And to be honest with you, I only know one person, well, maybe two, I know two people, two females that I know of, of, of in the entire time that I've been alive that I've been able to look up and say, What's on your mind? And they go, Nothing. And there genuinely is nothing on their mind. Now, being one track minded, and I'm not sure, maybe it's just guys, but don't hand me a book and have me read a book and try to talk to me at the same time. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's, if, especially my, if, if my wife is talking to me and she's in the middle of that discussion and I look down to read something, why is it that your ears just shut off? You go deaf right in that moment. For some reason, you just go deaf. This is where text messaging has become horrible. I'm already one-track minded. If you drive by me in the car and you look and you see me in the window and I'm chewing gum, you might want to have some space, by the way, between me and you right there, because I'm just, I can barely hang on with one track most of the time, let alone trying to text message and drive. There's no way text messaging and driving is just not going to work for me. No, seriously, I think I'm going to put the pre order in. I'm putting the pre order in for the Mission Impossible phone. I'm thinking, anybody else need this? Maybe you do. The Mission Impossible phone, I, have you seen it yet? That's the one where when you reach down and touch the screen if you're driving, it says, this phone will self-destruct in five seconds. And and so you just don't do it. The cost is too great. Whew, I need the Mission Impossible phone. I think I need the Mission Impossible phone when I'm in a conversation with my wife or she's talking to me because when the text message comes up, bloop, and it pops up there and I look down, the second I look down, I'm deaf. Ears go off. What is that? Are are most men like that? I'm just asking, is that the way that it is? And so I, I, then uh, invariably, what is it about your mind? Because you think you're deaf in that moment. But then she says, you're not listening to me. And all of a sudden, in that moment, when she says that, why is it that your brain can literally back up to the last few lines, back to this one point, And you can quote off every single word in detail that she said. And maybe I think that's because you think for the moment you're in trouble or something, and so your brain goes into that mode and records the last few lines. But still, you haven't really heard those last few lines. So even though you go back up to that point and you can quote off the lines well you said blah blah and and you can actually word for word say that you think you've pulled it off and you're kind of you feel pretty good about the fact you might have pulled that off until she says but you did not hear me you're not listening Uh uh-oh and then your mind is now trying to play whatever those, you're trying to make sense of whatever those lines were, then why is it in that moment that you could quote that off, but all of a sudden when she speaks those words, your mind just went blank, <laughs> and it's gone. And you look up and you think, what did she say? And you're trying to backtrack, and you look up, and all of a sudden there's this feeling of you like guilt that's deep because you're busted is what it is. You really weren't listening. That's a form of of what we're going to talk about t- today <laughs> conviction really because you're busted man you're guilty you did not listen and so when you look up you look up with this look and she looks at you she goes uh-huh and you look and you're like yep busted I have no idea <laughs> what you just said there's something about that there's a little bit of guilt that hits you right there's kind of a form of conviction in a mild sort of way when that happens <laughs> And then most of us know about conviction. Most of you do. You, you, remember when you were a kid and your parents said, well, there are these things that I don't want you to do. There are certain behaviors I don't want you to have. There are these things I don't want you to do. And invariably somewhere along the line, unless you were just like perfect as a kid, you violated that rule. And let's say you, it, it could be anything. You violated that rule. And you, they, you think they don't know that you violated that rule, one of your parents or both of your parents. And you walk around thinking, oh, my gosh, I violated this rule. I've done what they've said not to do. And, and there's something that's happened. you got a little guilt that's going on because you know that you violated that rule. And, boy, if they find this out, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be. And that's where you're at. It's where you are. Now, I wasn't too good at that. I really wasn't too good at holding on to those things. And I think that's because, first of all, my mama could look at me and she's, uh, huh, what's up? She could look, she could see that look and she would know. What is it about moms? They can look at you and go, uh, huh, what's up? they, They just know, they can see it. And so it's amazing. I would go, and usually my dad was really amazing. You could go sit down with him and you could say, all right, I just, cause, you want that relationship so bad. Eventually what happens is it turns into a point where you just can't avoid them much longer. You don't want to avoid them much longer. And I would, at times I would go to my dad and I would sit down and I'd say, oh, dad, here's what's going on. You know, I, I don't want, and, and I did this because I didn't want to be, I didn't want that distance between me and him. It's conviction. It's conviction that you, really that it's, it's sort of a wounding to the soul that there's a separation and it isn't even just about being guilty. There's a wounding to the soul over the separation of you in that relationship or whatever relationship there is. And so I would say, dad, this is what's going on. And I would tell him whatever it was that was on my heart. And invariably, you know, he was kind of amazing in moments because he would look up and he would say, uh-huh, I already knew that, son. And I'm thinking, why did you make me sweat? And the truth is, there wasn't, it wasn't that the relationship was divided between me and my father. I divided that relationship. I did it. I was holding on to that wounding. And oftentimes, he wasn't necessarily holding on to that wounding. He was just waiting for me to come. Now, my mother, she'd deal with business right now. She'd look at you and go, come on, come clean. I mean, she was, she knew. But my dad, he was, he would, you know, come on. And invariably, the relationship. And, and it, it's always greater when you finally just said, here's what's going on. Because you want that relationship. Restored, especially as you love them. That's what you want. You want your relationship restored between children. Folks, you want your relationship restored between friends. You want your relationship restored with with your family. You want that. The more that you love, the more you want that relationship restored. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, and when it comes to God, there's a thing called conviction that's there on purpose for a reason. To convict, that word convict, if you change it a little bit and change the syllables, convict, you can say. Convict, what is that? And immediately it comes to mind is someone who's been basically a lawbreaker, and they are removed from society and all the relationships that they would have known on the outside world. And they've made a choice to break whatever the rules were or the law was. And as a result of that, they have place themselves. They're in a place of their choosing. They chose to break that. And so in that place of their choosing, they're called a convict. They've been convicted of this and taken away from everything, all of the luxuries of life and the relationships. Of course, they develop others inside, which might not be the best, could be, who knows. But what I'm saying is all the ones that they have loved dearly, they're removed from to pay the price for whatever it is that has taken place. And they're considered to be a convict. They've been convicted. It's a little similar in the kingdom of God. But in order to understand what that really looks like, you have to understand the love of Jesus toward you. Now, I hear the word hyper all the time in different places. It's kind of funny... You know, um, you know it's it's really incredible. Uh, we 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 kind of toss these words back and forth between uh, each other, especially in the evangelical faiths. A lot of time you hear someone say, you know, you, you'll hear from maybe a, a little more Pentecostal side, they'll say, well, you know, those Baptists, they're hyper grace. I hear this all the time. They're hyper grace. And uh, so, and then you hear the Baptists sometimes, they'll say, well, they're hyper guilt over there. And the Pentecostals, you see that. You'll see that between face. And that just does come. And that's part of that is, you know, depending on uh, what church you go to, they may believe that if you sin at all. I remember I would say at one of the largest revivals in America back in the, ni- the early 1990s, and they would quote, one million saved over for this revival. But it's because of the invitation at night and the preacher would get up every night and he would say, hey, is there anything that you've done today in your world that you have not asked forgiveness for of God? And of course, I remember the first night that I was in there, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, I was at work today. I must have had a thought. I really didn't have anything that came to my mind or to my heart. But I went on down front anyway, and when I went down front, they gave you a card, and they filled that. said, well, you need to get saved. You need to get saved all over again. If you can do anything in your heart that you need forgiveness So, you need to get saved. And I remember looking at that going, no, I don't need to get saved. I just need to confess whatever it is and get it right with Jesus. No, no, you need to get saved. Now, folks, that's hyper guilt. It really is hyper guilt. And a matter of fact, if you look at the scripture, Paul said, look, we got to get beyond that a little bit so that we can grow. We don't have to get saved over and over and over and over again. Now, and the other flip side of that, there's the hyper grace, the once saved, always saved, which I do believe that. I believe in the complete work of Jesus Christ that was accomplished on the cross by his blood, that we could not do it by ourselves. And as a result of that, Jesus came and gave his life because even us in our sinful state, we couldn't save ourselves. And so that when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you're given a deposit that guarantees your inheritance in heaven, according to Paul, which is amazing, that does not perish, spoil, or fade. And there are scriptures to back that up. I can go into, you know, 1 Corinthians, we can talk about the fact that a father, you know, has his uh, uh, that, uh, that a man has uh, his father's wife, basically his mother, and he's still, you know— can escape merely by getting through the flames. And and but we don't want to talk about that a lot of times. So what we do on both sides is we actually draw, we draw the line 50 yards from where the line really is. And so we get all the way back here and say if you've violated the rules 50 yards back or you violated the rules 50 yards back in the other area, you're guilty on any occasion. Well folks, that's what's gotten that actually is what got the Jew, the Jews in trouble by their adding more and more and more to the law to back up the line 250 yards there's a line it is it is literally that line is drawn by god and it's amazing how that works so one crowd says hyper grace one crowd says hyper guilt and it's amazing and we don't want to talk about something that's important it's conviction when we get into this conviction it's the conviction of the holy spirit and that's important. It's, you don't come to Jesus because you use persuasive words, according to Paul, because your words were great. You don't come to Jesus for, in that way. You don't come to Jesus. You come because you're drawn by the Spirit of God. It isn't about the swelling music or the lights and the smoke machines or how dark the room is or how you've singled someone out or or any of that. It isn't about the manipulating of emotion. It's about them uh, by, by man. It's about the movement of the Spirit and the conviction of the Spirit of God. Something is missing. And it's about the fact that men, according to Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which does its work within, calls them out to come to Christ. How does that work? Well, you see that actually in John chapter 16. Starting in verse seven, Jesus explains, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, this is the Holy Spirit. He actually goes down, the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. He defines him actually in verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, he says he'll guide you into all truth. But he backs up. He says when he's come, he will do this. And there's that word, convict. He'll convict the world. What, is he going to convict the world that they're guilty? He's going to do part of that, yes. And there is a guilt that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this conviction is like a wounding. Folks, it's like a wounding to the soul. It's a wounding because you realize, wow, I'm without god without god i'm in a terrible state and in that wounding of the spirit that is there mankind says boy i want to be with him i want to be where he's at there's something in the way of that i want to be where he is and in that conviction of the spirit the desire of your heart when it's just guilt by the way when it's just guilt and you're just feel like you're guilty because you've got these things going on you look and say well i'll never make it i'll never I'll, I'll never live up to the standards and make it to heaven but you have to understand that jesus did that and your desire is to want jesus and in the conviction of the holy spirit there is also a driving of the fact that you want a relationship with jesus christ eventually at some point like we talked about before when it was with my father, I didn't want to be at that distance anymore. So I came in and said, dad, here's what I've done. I don't want to be at that distance. And when the, when it was cleared, the relationship came back. That's the art of conviction. It's different than guilt. Guilt is important. Guilt brings us to that point. And yes, there are things we're guilty of, but guilt comes in many forms. There's false guilt. We have an accuser, Satan, which means accuser, and it's accuser of the brethren that accuses us asleep or awake all the time, saying you'll never live up to be perfect, you'll never live up to that. It's amazing. You can preach on that level where you're, you're, you're preaching on that acu- with accusing on a regular basis, and people will come all the time trying to get rid of that quote-unquote guilt there's the conviction of the Spirit that says, man, I have broken I have broken God's law. There's no doubt about that. Or I've broken the things that Jesus has commanded me to do. That's it. We take those to Jesus. According to 1 John, we confess our sins. Confession we don't talk about. It's a whole different religion when it comes down time for evangelicals to talk about confession. We don't talk about it very much really on, on the plane that we need to because sometimes we're afraid that confession is going to be uh, I, I think connected to a priest that we've got to go to and then we've got to confess ourselves. we get that idea in our mind, which comes out of Catholicism in some ways. The evangelicals believe, according to Hebrews, that Jesus is the high priest. He's the only priest that you'd ever need, so you confess your sins to Jesus. It's important. The confession of those sins, by the way, is to restore the relationship. Now, The enemy is going to come, Satan himself, he'll come and he'll accuse you and say, you'll never be good enough. It'll always happen. You'll never be good enough, which is why we must believe in the complete work of Jesus Christ. I have a physician that I go and and with from time to time. And he said, you are, you're remarkable. You're talking about me. He said, you're remarkable to me. He said, it's like, you could just turn this stuff over to Jesus and boom, it's gone. I said, it is gone. If I, could, if I believe in the fact that I give this to Christ, what about that is he not taking? He takes it all. And it took me a while, took me a long time to get to that point that I trusted. By the way, this is important, that I trusted Jesus enough to let go of those things to give to him. But if I understand the work of the conviction of the Holy Spirit... I can understand that there is this. Why does that come? Well, there's nothing that God doesn't know that you haven't already done, first of all. Second of all, that confession is there so that you can come back to Jesus. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And by the way, that cleansing of all unrighteousness is there so that you can walk back on that that plane with Christ. Let me settle your minds. By the way, this is Jesus saying, let me settle your mind, child. I want you with me. That's the art, the beautiful art of the conviction of the Holy Spirit as we come. And the wounding that comes to our soul over that conviction of the Spirit is about the fact the relationship is broken. And we want more than ever to come back to Jesus, which is why it's interesting. The gospel is always preaching. It's like, there's only one way to heaven. You got to get to heaven. And he died on Calvary's cross, so that you, and that, which is true. But listen to me. The reason why he came and he went to that cross is so that you could walk with him because his desire is to walk with you. That you could be forgiven of your sins so that you could walk with Jesus and follow Jesus. That you were no longer chained and bound. Remission means the chains fall at your feet. Feet. You're no longer bound by sin, but you are free to walk now with God. When we start preaching that here's how you got to get to heaven, and we start preaching ticket to heaven, we miss often the relationship with Jesus. Understanding that the ticket to heaven is, if you want to call it, the perk that goes along, but it doesn't come without desiring Christ. You must desire Jesus and so just as it's really an amazing dynamic and so when you're separated from Christ this is how conviction actually works when you're when actually you've done something or there's something that you're carrying here that's caused a wounding to the relationship you feel that at the core of your soul that's conviction the art of it because now you're separated. You feel separated from Christ. It isn't that he's left you. It's that you're sort of, if you, you kind of take this place to hide. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, hiding behind all the, tree, the plants and stuff, you know. Where are you? What have you done? You don't think Jesus can't tell by looking at you? And it already knows he does. You're not hiding from anything. But sometimes until we get that straight, there's sort of, a disconnect or what feels like in your soul, a disconnect. That's what conviction's about. So that you'll come and you'll confess those sins first so that you'll be saved. That's the first thing. Once that complete work is done and you put on the helmet of salvation and you settled the fact that Jesus has saved you, you need to understand, according to Romans chapter seven, we've talked about this a lot, there's, there's this war that's going on inside you between the sinful, the sins that are in the flesh, if you will, and the righteousness of God. And by the way, when you can actually practice the righteousness of God, when you're able to do that, it's amazing. If you cannot cannot practice righteousness at all, you have no desire to practice righteousness, that's a big deal. If you have no desire to practice righteousness, and not only that, there's no conviction in your heart, then you, over anything you've ever done, then you need to stop for a second because there's a good chance you are not a child of God. Or you didn't come to Jesus seeking Jesus. You just came seeking a way to heaven, maybe, at this point, almost bypassing Jesus. Hopefully that makes sense. And I know some of you may not agree with what I'm about to what I'm saying here. I'm telling you that in the relationship with Jesus, you've chosen that relationship with Jesus. It's amazing. You've chosen that relationship with Jesus. And because you have chosen that relationship with Jesus in your imperfection reached out for the love of God, I want you more than anything, Christ. Jesus Christ, I want you more than anything. Because of the conviction that's come on your heart, I need I need Jesus. I want him more than anything. There's an art behind that conviction. We understand it as humans when there's division between either us and our children or our children and us. There's a wounding to the spirit and the soul when there is a distance between us and those that we love the most. Why wouldn't there be a wounding to the spirit when there's a distance between us and God? That's what conviction is all about. That's what the spirit of God's conviction is all about. He says, when he's come, he will convict the world of sin. That's Jesus saying, hey, child, this is wrong. This ain't good for you. This is not good for you. And because it's not good for you, it's really horrible for our relationship as well. And so this is something you don't need. And if you practice this, you yourself are going to be at a distance between me, not because I'm far away from you. He's going to convict you of your sin, first of all, so that you'll come to know him. But after that, there'll be conviction of sin. Because Jesus still desires that close relationship. And he's going to work on your heart that you do, too. And it it starts with guilt. It does. But the desire of the relationship is where conviction, fully played out, is so beautiful. He'll convict the world of sin. What is sin? He'll convict the world of righteousness. What is righteousness? And there's a difference between the two. Just because you think... This is right. Righteousness says that it is not. And righteousness directs you in the direction of the things that are. And then finally, end of judgment. That's how we understand the judgment actually comes as under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that, my goodness, the judgment comes that I'm not ever going to make it. And as I choose Jesus, judgment is not something that I will face in my sins. He says, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And just as the ruler of this world is judged, so are you. In your sense, it's a place you don't want to be caught in. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. is coming directly from the Lord. He'll tell you of the things to come. He'll glorify me. He'll take what is mine, and he'll declare it to you. He's basically bottom line. I'm going to give you a helper that's going to come, and he is going to be in you. It's going to be amazing. He's going to work around you. He's going to be in you. It's going to be incredible. He's going to guide you to me all the time. He's going to point you to me all the time. He's going to make sure that your sights are still set on me, and in the moments that you step away from me and there's a division in the relationship. Because you've gotten a little distant, he's going to convict you and move in your life to bring you back to me. There's going to be a wounding to your soul to come back to me. It's going to look like conviction, and it's the perfect art of the Spirit of God who is building a beautiful relationship between the bride of Christ and the groom, Jesus. It's beautiful but it's missing today. Oftentimes missing in places is missing because we just, it, we explain it away oftentimes, or you'll go and you'll say, I feel this. I feel there's something wrong in my spirit. I feel this. Well, maybe you just need to go clear your mind. Maybe you need to go to this person over here and get counseling because of this. And there are some t- moments when that is needed, but oftentimes it's just the conviction of the spirit that says, maybe you just need to go to confession first. And I'm not talking about confession To someone, maybe you just need to come and get on your knees and just say, Oh, Jesus, here I am. I'm so apart from you. And here's the reason why. Restore me back to you. Forgive me of these things. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness so I can walk with you and in you. Boy, that is. Powerful. I remember as a boy, I would go back to my father in those moments, and the relationship was then amazing. Always after that, I remember the peace that was felt as that relationship was restored. By the way, you're listening to Grounded, the place to hear the salty truth, and I am Scott Cates. I would get before my my dad, And I would, after that, it was amazing. I didn't want to be apart from him after those things had taken place, after I had settled that and trusted my father enough to say, here's where I've come. And I did, I had this great trust because he came back to me and he let me walk real close, which was amazing. I loved those moments. Jesus does the same. It's amazing. Oftentimes after those moments, we'd go camping or we'd go hang out or we'd go do something. We'd go literally to the Seven Eleven and get a Slurpee. Whatever we would do, I'd go to work with him, and I would stick by his side. I wasn't trying to get away from him because, in there, wasn't anything between us. The same thing happens, on a grander scale, when we confess before Jesus. Then we don't want to get away. Then we want to be right where He is. When we believe that He has truly, forgiven us, and the slate is once again. Set clean. It makes perfect sense. It's a beautiful art that we already experience oftentimes in earthly relationships, but on a grander scale in this relationship with Christ. Conviction. The art of it is amazing, but it's so oftentimes, again, missing. Today in a confusing society, when life is so busy, we're so busy at things that oftentimes we're not. We, we step out there and we, do all, we make a ton of decisions for ourselves. We always try to fix our lives. We're always trying to make a ton of decisions for ourselves. But the truth of the matter is we end up in that sort of lordship spot and we keep going back and forth between whether or not we're going to lead or let him lead on a regular basis. When we set the slate clean, we understand he's in the lead. And to follow him is the best choice and the best decision. And it comes by the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. Given to us by Christ Jesus for a work that is amazing for today. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, today I, I've just got to tell you, the first thing you've got to understand is by the conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll never walk with Jesus, side by side, never be able to do so. Never have that close relationship until you first accept Him as your Savior and ask forgiveness of your sins. You won't have that relationship that I'm talking about right now. Once that happens to the power of the conviction of the Spirit and you desire him more than anything else, yes you're set in a place to go to heaven. Just like a convict has chosen in his life to break the law and, to, and, and and not to make that right, he literally will pay the price and he'll go to prison as his own choice. The same exact thing happens to people. You can remain in your own choice to not believe in Jesus if you want, but the consequences are there. You're choosing a place of where you will be. And that is a place of punishment, just like a convict would go to But by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realizing that you don't meet up to the standard and you give your life to Christ and you ask him to cleanse you of your sins and take those yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forgive you of those, once that takes place, now that's a place of choosing, which is to be where Jesus is. Do you understand? For all of eternity, I've now in this imperfect world chosen, I want to live all of eternity with Jesus Christ, and that's heaven. And that's a place that's chosen because of the relationship you have with Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can stop right now at any moment and say, oh God, I need you. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Guide me. Lead me as I accept that you are Savior. I accept now that you are in charge and Lord of my life. And I accept the Bible as your word and absolute truth, and I will live by it. Will you be perfect? No way. It isn't going to occur. I'm not speaking to you today about hyper grace. I want you to understand that God's grace is powerful. You cannot lose the relationship you have with Jesus, but you can strain it really, really good. And in straining that, you can be the one that walks away, but to come back now after you've settled that Jesus has saved you, you come back in confession often because we'll fight this war while we're in this sinful body that one day will be literally left behind. We will fight this war while we're under this war and we're still in the flesh. Until one day we're called home and we won't fight the war anymore. There'll be a war between spirit and flesh that will always go. So perfection is not going to occur. Does that require that you have to get saved over and over and over and over again? No, it requires you settle your salvation. And when you do, that you walk the best you can by practicing righteousness in the direction of Jesus. And then when the, consp- and when the spirit convicts you that you've moved away, you come back in confession and you clean the slate again as Jesus moves and cleanses you of your sins. And you once again walk clean, side by side with him. You don't lose your salvation. You just strain that relationship. Only you. you strain- so you come back to Jesus so that you can walk with him again. Hopefully that makes sense. With what conviction is about. And then finally today, I just want you to know that Jesus does love you. That special sweet song that we learned as children, Jesus loves you. At least I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's true. And he desires to walk with you. So if you're here and you're listening today and it's been a while since you've walked with Jesus, but you know you've given your life to him, maybe you need to find that place that you just stop and say, here I am. I want to walk with you once again forgive me of these things. And by the way, trust him to take them. He will. That's about the time I have today. It's what I have for you this week. I thank you for listening. This has been Grounded, the place to hear the salty truth. My name is Scott Cates, and I'm so thankful that you listened today. Have a great week. I'll see you next Monday.